Hey family, welcome back to the Beacon of Truth. I am your host, Aaron Bull, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Christopher Selden, author of Why Me? And we are going to take some time today and have a conversation about the book. We'll get into it right after this break. All right, so welcome, Chris. How are you? Good. How are you? I am good, and I am so excited to have this conversation about the book. As you know, I read it in about a day, not even a day and a half, but (laughs) (laughs) definitely a page turner for me. I I enjoyed it. I can't wait to tell everybody else about it. So first of all, uh, let's talk about the the title of the book. Why Me? A Journey of Self-Reflection and Healing. So I got the title from, and it's actually funny how I got the title. I was just driving around one day. I like to drive when I want to get my thoughts together and whatnot. Because I was almost finished with the book and I was trying to come up with the title. And I was recounting one of the stories in the book that I actually told in the book. And then Why Me popped in my head. I said, wow, that could be the title because in life, a lot of times we have, we ask ourselves, why did this have to happen to us? Why do we have to live this way? Why do we have to be the big? Why me? So I said, this would be the perfect title to represent kind of where I'm coming from in the book. Okay. I got you. I got you. And I mean, obviously you had all of these different experiences that you put into the book, but what was the motivation behind writing the book? What was the the trigger for you? Self-help book was never on my radar. What happened was I was writing a children's book at first and then was I still to have it came out. But with the children's book, I wanted to tell more stories, but you know, with the children's book, you can only go but so far. But I want to reach an older audience. So I said, well, let me take my life experiences and let me put them in a book and kind of speak to the people, especially people in their 20s in my age uh, age range. Because a lot of us share those similar experiences. So let me, I said, let me put them in the book, tell my testimony, and then show my growth. I got you. I got you. So prior to actually sitting down to write the book, did you talk to friends and family and did they share any advice were they supporting you or you just had it in your mind to write a book and that's just what you went with yeah i just literally had in my mind to write a book i didn't tell anybody i didn't read any self-help books prior to writing mine i wanted mine to be as organic and authentic as as possible for me so i didn't want to get any ideas from anybody else um i asked i literally i didn't tell anybody well i told i, well, I take it back i told two people two friends of mine that i was going to write a book the self-help book but other than that, I didn't tell anybody until the day it was out. And they were like, oh, you're writing a book? You didn't tell us? He didn't tell nobody. I was like, yeah, I want to surprise y'all. Here you go, surprise. That's interesting. Well, like I say, I, I absolutely enjoyed the book. Um, one of the things that I really liked about it was it was what I call the common man struggle or the simple struggle. Because a lot of times when you read self-help books or a book about someone's journey, there's always kind of aspects that are a little further out from your reality. You know, Mm -hmm. most of them involve being molested or some kind of abuse or just a general, you know, traumatic experience, maybe a traumatic upbringing 
or drugs, alcohol, things like that. And pretty much like none of those things really exist in the book. And that's not a knock on any of those, like, you know, writers that are, that write those kind of books or stories because they're needed. They are stories for a lot of people, but I don't think that we have enough of the common man struggle. Because like when I was reading this book, because, you know, I mean, I, I've had a basically, I guess, a simple life, but you know, you have struggles. Everybody has struggles. And I think that sometimes because we don't have those traumatic experiences, we feel like we should be okay, or we should feel okay. We shouldn't have any struggles because we don't have these triggering or life-changing experiences that, uh, that we know other people do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I touched on it in my introduction my quote-unquote little problems and little struggles were small compared to people who were out there who, you know, who probably were hooked on drugs, molested, raped, you know, et cetera. But, and I had to learn, especially about, through me, through me writing this book, that, you know, my struggle, whether, you know, big or small, is still a struggle and it's still affecting my life, a lot of the ways I acted and decisions I made. And I think that um, another thing about the book that I really appreciated was it was from a man's perspective. So it was interesting to see that men have some of the same complexes or um, issues that we as women have, because, you know, we we're women. So we can only (laughs) kind of judge from the outside looking in. We know what our struggles are and we know what kind of struggles we have with men but not too often do we understand what kind of struggles men have. So I definitely appreciate the male perspective on it. And nice to see, you know, it was a a decent man's perspective, you know, wasn't too too many of the (laughs) reasons, (laughs) reasons in there that we, we tend to bash men sometimes. So I appreciate that. Also, you know, I mean, I know it's June now, but May was mental health awareness month. Um, I'm sure you're aware of that. So the timing is, Still relative. I mean, I think it's a relative book, period. And then especially because the focus is on Black people and Black men, or especially Black men right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that your book allows men to open that door that just traditional masculinity says you have to keep closed. Yes, absolutely. One, and actually in the, either in the, uh, it was an introduction of your book, one of the lines that really shocked me was, well, there were two. Number one, you said, as, as men, especially Black men, we are taught that being vulnerable is a sign of weakness. And I think that that's something that we all know, but we don't really address it. Every Black person can tell you, whether it's male or female, that black men are not allowed to be vulnerable, but I don't think that we really do a whole lot to allow that vulnerability to be exposed or just be put out there. We just kind of acknowledge that that's just the rule, and we don't really do a whole lot <laughs> about yeah, the rule. Exactly, and I, and that's at first I didn't have this especially black men, uh, black men part in that in the, in the middle of it, and I say, you know what, this is definitely applies because of African American men we're trained, well, I don't want to say trained, but it's kind of like we're trained not to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're trained not to show emotion because we're looked at as weak. And we don't, uh, or we're being a uh, women. Or actually, you know, I, well, I can't curse on here, but you know, the female curse for women. 
Mm-hmm. That's how we will be looked at if we become vulnerable. You know, but we're always supposed to, you know, people supposed to look up to us for strength and that admiration, you know, to keep to move through life. So, how does it look, you know, for a man, you know, to cry, to mm-hmm. to, to to show some kind of uh, stress in their life? So, and like you said, it's a, it's a, we all know it, or you know, we know that's kind of like the theme, but we don't address it. So, I totally agree with you on a hundred percent, a thousand percent. Well, I guess before we get into the book, let's see, um, let's cover just the book in itself. Because, I mean, I don't want to dive too far because I definitely want people to be encouraged to read it. I I highly recommend it. You know, it's in my cart on Amazon. I'm just waiting to get get a couple (laughs) dollars to purchase it. But, yes, it's saved. So, obviously, the overall theme of it is just, you know, a journey uh, through your life. Which I was, I was actually amazed at how much you remember from childhood. Although, granted, now you know I'm a little bit older than you, so <laughs> you know your childhood was definitely a little bit closer to you <laughs> than my childhood <laughs> is. But even when I was 25, I don't think that I would have that kind of memory retention. I mean, I I was shocked that you know, like you in like what third grade having uh reflect reflecting on being in third grade middle school but you know i guess that was only about eight years ago so. <laughs> <laughs> I, ain't like, you know. I wish it would though i'll still be young <laughs> first of all sir you're 25 so you're oh, still yeah. young you still young because i'm a few old a few years older than you so we're not no 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 you can't be old because i'm not old I, well, I won't say I'm old because I'm, I'm still 26. Because when I get 36, I'm gonna wish I was 26. So I say mm-hmm. I'm young. <laughs> nah, I'm gonna tell you. Once you get over 30, you really start to get comfortable with your age. I don't want to go back in time to being anywhere under 30. So For you real. Get when you really get in tune with yourself and really get to know yourself and who you mm-hmm. are. Because, like, okay, so I'm 38, just for <laughs> number's sake, I'm 38. You know, every year, I'm just more comfortable with being the age that I am. Now, I can look back and say, I wish that when I was 25 or 21, I had done this differently or done that mm-hmm. differently. But just to go all the way, oh, no, <laughs> no, mm-mm. Because your, your, your mindset is so different. I mean, it, it's a difference between, you know, obviously being under 18. It's a difference between being 18, 21, 25, 30, 35. You know, those are all great, like, mind-shifting mile, milestones. Yeah. So wait till you get there. Wait till you get there. You're going to get there and think, oh, yeah, that girl I talked about my book 30 years ago, she was right. <laughs> then when you get older, you, I mean, you post. You know, I well, I can't say everybody. You supposed to get wise and, and act different, but you know, everybody don't have a you know, similar mindset. So yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So one of the things that I did notice throughout the whole book is that while you acknowledge that you're an African American man. It seems like your whole life has been black. Have you had any mixed racial experiences? Because, I mean, you grew up in what, Stone Mountain uh, area? Mableton, Georgia. Well, I live in Stone Mountain now, but I grew up in Mableton, Georgia. And I don't know if you're all familiar with that. That's um, by six, well, for those of y'all that live in Atlanta, that's by six flats over Georgia. It's like literally 
I want to say 10 minutes from Six Flags. Yeah, I know pretty, exactly pretty what mis- it is. It's a pretty mixed community, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, predominantly white, but everything. Okay. So basically, you started the story here in Stone Mountain, which we know it, it ain't no white people over there unless they own the mountain. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i was just wondering wondering about that because you know obviously your schooling was black and then you went to was it georgia perimeter i went to elementary middle school in marietta city school district which is in cobb county was well, like okay. a separate, it's like a separate school kind of like how the cater city schools and the cab county schools are separate it's how marietta city and cobb county schools are then I went to high school in the cab with Rian High School, and I graduated from there. Then I, when I first started college, I went to Georgia Perimeter College, which is in Clarkston, Georgia, two-year institution. Now I'm in Georgia State downtown. Okay, and, and we know that's a mix. Okay. Yeah. All right. That was just one thing that you never really touched on was like interracial experiences, not just like from a dating, but just yeah, interracial yeah, reactions. And whatnot. So I was just curious about that. I've been around all, I would say pretty much every different race and nationality, I want to say, give or take a few. Okay. So also in the book, you talked about, you know, you went to a therapist. Are you still going to the therapist? Yes, I am still in therapy. I, I started therapy in January of this year. Yep. And I'm still, I'm still, actually, I got a session Sunday. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, so you, actually, okay. I'm very actually still in therapy. And so what was the turning point for you to decide that you needed to see a therapist? Um, well, it was two things. I have a friend, her name's Kiana, which I mentioned her in the book, and she's one of my best friends. We always had these conversations. She called them our golden conversations. And we talk about life, way to where we are in life, or life in general, past experiences, politics, whatever. And during the midst of one of those conversations, she mentioned her need, well, we actually were talking about past experience at this particular uh, time. And she mentioned her need to go to therapy. And I, when she said that, I was like, because mm, I, I, you know, I always, I, I thought about therapy. And I was like, mm, that really worked for me. But I encouraged her to do it. So after that, you know, I kind of got in a real dark space. It was like really dark. And I speak on my suicide chapter. And in this dark space, it, it scared me being in it. I so I, that's why I knew I had to seek professional help and talk to somebody. So I literally got on Google and looked at like I hit the second option I saw on Google and the rest is history. Mm, okay. So do you advocate for therapy for others or you feel oh, like that's yes. just a personal decision? I wholeheartedly I, I'm I'm I advocate with therapy. Now, you know, everybody's not so quick to jump to therapy, especially men, because of the, the stigma uh, therapy. You know, if you go to therapy, you're, you're crazy or, you know, it's like a negative stigma to it. I would say give it a try and see how it works for you. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say rule it out, but if some way I would at least have some kind of outlet, if, if it's even if it's not therapy, some outlet you have to talk about those feelings. Gotcha. You know, it's not just a man thing. It's a black thing, too, because I can honestly say that I have seen an uptick in 
black mental health awareness as well as you know people talking about there are black people coming forth with their own experiences with therapy and kind of you know kind of advocating that like, hey you don't have to be on medication or on the edge to seek therapy which now kind of uh contradicting myself because i personally have not sought therapy but if given the opportunity to i would i i really think that black people need therapy because yeah, you know yeah. i mean if you get ptsd just from being black especially in this day and age and as great as our best friends are no matter how great their shoulder is they're not professionals and they're also going through the same struggle so you know it's kind of like the blind leading the blind yeah so absolutely and then especially uh people that are really in that real heavy christian uh upbringing you know a lot of times that's definitely therapy definitely looked down upon the christian community okay they feel like yeah. you know why speak to why speak, go to therapy where you can go talk to god and I'm saying, you know, God, you know, is, is you know, because I'm a Christian as well, so I do pray and whatnot. But I feel like God puts people on earth as well to physically be here in front of you and talk to you. So you get your mental healing through their the spiritual work and whatnot to God. I got you. I got you. So how did you come up with the style of the book? Because I thought it was a really interesting style because I'm not going to lie. When we first connected through social media and you were like, oh, I wrote a self-help book. I'm like, oh God, here goes a pity party <laughs> or a textbook. And I'm so not in the mood, but uh, okay. I don't open the door. So <laughs> I, mean, I was pleasantly surprised like by the middle, like by the first chapter. And once I got through the introduction and the first chapter, I was like, okay, I get it now. I see what the tone is. I got the rhythm of the book. You know, okay, let's do this. And it, it was real cool. It was more like a conversation, you know. So I'm telling listeners, y'all going to be talking to the book. So if you read the book, you're going to need to read it alone or just advise whoever you're around to ignore your conversation. Because there were points where I was talking to Chris, you know, in the book, and I was talking to the people that he was talking to in the book. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I guess that is um, a credit to your writing because I really did feel that involved with the conversation or the experiences. I was like, oh man, you wrong for that. How you going to do that? Like, oh, mm -mm. Well, so first, it was to... almost like watching a movie because I was really trying to tell you how to handle these situations. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> I want to say, first of all, thank you for letting me through the door and reading my, giving my book a shot. And no, no problem. Um, like I said, and it, it was, I, I'm just glad, but it was really a pleasure to do so. But go ahead. I think you said about the style, you asked me about the style of the book. Mm -hmm. So the style, and it's funny when I, when I said I was going to write the book, I, I already knew instantly. Well, originally I was going to make it like a memoir ish, but I was like, you know, at the time I was 25, so I'm like, I still I got a lot more living to do, so I don't want to put it like that. So I said, let me divide into categories of different things that led on to my depression or anxiety and let me tell my story in each chapter well let me give an intro kind of introduce the uh, topic let me give my story and let me show my growth so i wanted each chapter to go in that same format because it's some a lot of these books like quote-unquote self-help books they tell you what you should do but you don't see how you can relate to it right how that person writing the book the author it can relate to whatever they're saying so I said, it, it makes no sense for me to tell y'all what to do without telling, you know, giving y'all a little insight into my life. 
So I, pretty much, I, that's how I wrote it. I wrote the book was 100% written by me. Uh, of course, the editor, like, he kind of tweaked like, a sentence here and there, but every, about 97% of the book is written by me. And, yeah. And um, and that's what I liked. That was another thing that I liked about the book was that each chapter gave you closure before you moved on. So it wasn't like you were carrying all of these experiences from chapter to chapter. So it never really got heavy. You know, it allowed you to get an understanding of the experience and an understanding of the ideas and the principles without it dragging you down through throughout the book. So I definitely enjoyed that. And another appeal about this book is, it's, I guess it's another thing that is unique about the writing style is that the book is applicable to a broad spectrum. Like there are parts of the book that you can actually give to late element, like maybe fourth or fifth graders up into middle school. You have parts that you would, um, allow high schoolers to read, and then obviously for adults. And even with you being 25, like for me, I'm 38. So there's a little bit of a difference in our upbringing. Like, for example, when you were talking about sending text messages in class, (laughs) our text messages were literally handwritten, folded, and passed across from person to person until it got to the person we sent it to. Well, I had a little bit of that in the eighth grade story. That's like the only time I think. I had a no passing moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but you know, we we did not have technology. We were not text messaging each other after school, but it didn't necessarily like go over my head or it wasn't like it was written well enough to bring in those who may not have had those experience. It was just I mean, I just thought it was really well written. It was definitely enlightening and entertaining at the same time, but you still got the meat of the message, even in some of the darker chapters uh, or the darker portions of the experiences, you felt the depth of it, but it didn't drag you into it. I really enjoyed it. Because I was really, I think it was saying, and actually mentioned it saying that, because when I was writing the book, I was like, oh, I don't want to tell too many stories in the chapter, the chapter to be too long and too wordy and people missed the point so I'm glad you you liked it yeah and uh, I mean in each chapter you can read the book in any particular order and not be thrown off so if you just found a topic that was just really appealing to you just from opening the book and you know reading the chapter list you could jump straight into that chapter and then go back and read it from front to back or back to front whatever and still get the whole concept of the book. I mean, especially because it may be something that somebody, like they pick up the book and they're experiencing it right now. So they don't want to, you know, read the first 30, 30, 40 pages to get to that. So that was a nice, neat little trick. <laughs> I, of course, because I, I knew we were going to have this conversation, I read it all the way through. But this is my post-reading analysis of it. And that was the point that I wanted it to be like that purposely. I didn't want you to have to feel like you had to read chapter one, two to figure out what was happening in chapter five. All right. Now, uh, there was one chapter <laughs> that I had some issues with. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I understand it a little more since I realized, like, basically you just started therapy in January. So I guess it's about six months of therapy. But the chapter that I took issue with was friendship. 
<laughs> yeah, because yeah, that was the only one, because like all the other chapters, like I said, it gave an introduction of whatever the topic was and what your experience was with it, specific story, relative, and then a conclusion, you know, okay, how it was resolved or how you grew out of that or got away from it, whatever. But that friendship, ooh, baby, you needed a hug, <laughs> some milk, something. But I think that's a little bit of a generational difference. I think that if you give yourself a few more years and then you go back and read that friendship chapter, you're like, ah, uh, I get it now. <laughs> I, I get it now. That was the only because I have like a page of, of notes about that friendship chapter. That was the only one. Everything else put out a line or two. But that friendship chapter, baby, like the first paragraph, I was like, ooh, he hurt. He is hurt. So, so we need Band-Aid on aisle one. <laughs> So was it the expectations that kind of, uh, I won't say, I don't want to say through you, but kind of through you or the tone yeah, of the chapter? Because it just seems like you, and I'm going to say that Chris in the book, because I don't want to attack you, but mm-hmm. it seemed like Chris did not have a complete understanding of what a friendship is. He had a set, it was do as I do. You felt like because I, I, you I, did I, this, I, that, the third. That's what other people should do for you, but that you don't have that control. And, you know, like I said, there were times where you did not necessarily confront people with the way that they had wronged you. They did something that you didn't appreciate, didn't like, and you just cut them off and assumed that they knew what they had done. And some people, some people do operate like that but when you know they're calling you friends or you call them friends generally generally now people make mistakes or hurt your feelings unknowingly or accidentally you know what i'm saying it's not because you're chris that they do you like this it may be uh, just a con- continuation of how they were raised or how their friends do or how their circles do. You know, it's just a difference in experience and setting expectations. You had expectations in your mind that you had set for these friends, but you never told those friends, this is what I expect for you, from you if we're going to ha- be friends. Uh, I wrote the friendship chapter. I wrote it out as putting my guidelines. So that's why I gave each guideline and testimony and whatnot. So when I wrote it, I was kind of, because, you know, generally, I mean, from the childhood to now, it's kind of hard. I don't generally cut people off that quick because I'm the type of person when I make a connection with you, I want to hold on tight. You know, it's hard for me to let go. You could have done me dead wrong and I will find a way to make an excuse and forgive you. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I'm only saying because I read the book because there were a couple of times where I was cussing you out. Like, bro, come on. <laughs> Come on, bruh. Is it three times? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not baseball. <laughs> but I, didn't see, I didn't see it. You're blind to it initially until you really think about, uh, you know, on your own. Like, for example, you know, I, I've told a story about, you know, a friend would hit me up for money. He would never reach out to me, uh, even just a simple, hey, how you doing? And make sure I'm still breathing. The only time he would hit me up was, you know, if he wanted money. I mean, foolishly, I would do it. You know, you think, oh, that's my homeboy. You know, let me, you know, help him out. 
until first of all, when they ain't paying money back. That's they, that's a big no no for me, number one. But then, yeah. it, it, then it's, it kind of like it's not even so much that you're not paying me back, but it's like when you only reach out to me first when you want money. Now, then you know it's like, well, damn, like you only you only reach out to me when you want something. That that's a problem to me. Cause then, cause now I feel like where well, you are, where he was, but now I feel like you're using me or taking advantage of my night of our friendship. Yeah. I mean, and, and I didn't have any issues with that part of it. But again, it was just your lack of communication yeah, uh, with some of the part. people that you that yeah. you were calling friends. You know what I mean? Like I said, you would always just take it to heart. Like they were setting out to hurt you. And in reality, you know, from what I read, mm. you know, it didn't seem like they had any idea because I mean, like that's a more obvious one. Like one about the guy that was just always borrowing money. That's a little more obvious, you know, like there was where you were talking about, you felt some type of way because you supported your friends businesses, Uh, but they didn't support yours. But there's a difference between friendship and business and just because we're friends doesn't mean that I'm obligated to support your business if it does not interest me or appeal to me or may not be able to do it financially. And especially because you're an entrepreneur, you understand that having a business does not always equate to having money. (laughs) You know what I mean? So there has to be some benefit of the doubt there. When it comes to that, the friend with the hand soap, whatever, you bought her stuff immediately and shared all her posts and whatever, and then she didn't return that for you. Well, well, not, well, not she, now she actually did. Uh, she actually bought why me the first day it came out. Now, the friend, I think I spoke about him that I bought plates from with the, um, and it's funny you actually just mentioned this just now because uh, yesterday I spoke with him. Well, we have a group chat, so he was in it. Anyway, he asked another another friend of mine. He bought the book too. Both of them. He asked that friend, "Well, how did he rate my book?" And the friend told him he hadn't read it yet. So that friend asked the uh, chef friend, "Well, did you buy the book?" He was like, "No, I don't. I don't read books." Now I could have I could have felt some kind of way and said, "Oh, well, dang! Like you know, I supported you and your plates, and you can't even buy a book." And like you said, it might not. He said he don't read books, so it doesn't appeal to him. I mean, I can't get mad at that. Yeah, but to be honest, if I'm a friend and I can support, I probably will, even if I would never use the product. You know, say if it's like a like a fifteen dollar book, yeah. okay, because we'll blow fifteen dollars on anything else, so that's not a big deal. But you know, long story short, that was the only thing. I I had a couple issues with the friendship chapter, and uh, oh, the other issue that I had was that there wasn't really that same growth or closure at the end of that chapter it was just like yeah i got issues with friends and here's what you need to do with yours all right next chapter i was like uh it kind okay of, you know, that one I, I feel like me putting the expectation was kind of like my i was a growth kind of like my realization of what i expected out of a friend and i should have added in the chapter which i hate i forgot to add it um now but Everything I put as an expectation, I won't say it's not non-negotiable because you know it's no perfect person in this world. For friends, you know they come, you know they come in all different packages. So I just, I honestly feel like it's it's what you're willing to put up with, and you know, and take with that particular person, you know, sway which direction your friendship goes. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I believe in levels of friendship. You know, I mean, I have people that are best friends, good friends, friends, and then I got long handled spoon categories. <laughs> like, you're not all the way cut off, but I don't always respond to your messages sometimes, or we'll get together if we happen to be going to the same place, <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to put forth a whole lot of effort because that's the amount of effort that you put forward. But maybe the time that we do share or when we do catch up, everything is good. So the issue is not really the friendship friendship. Like when we're together, we're always arguing or we don't get along. It's just that inconsistency of being available, being around or whatever. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily warrant you to be cut off, maybe just pushed out a little bit, you know. Speaking of cutting off, so that was one of the biggest issues that I did have with this friendship chapter was just it seemed more about knowing when to cut people off as opposed to understanding when someone is a real friend. Yeah, and I, and as you said, I can, you know, and I think that is kind of tone I have, you know, especially when I say, like, yeah, I, I mean, I can be with <laughs> Yes. But I don't want to make it, I don't want to think like, you know, I'm just cutting folks out, you know, eliminate folks left and right like this apprentice. But <laughs> maybe I should have worded like, you know, continuously violate my particular expectation and I'm not cool uh, with it then you know you might get cut off or be a long what how you say a long handled spoon friend long handled spoon <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like that word long hand I'm gonna have to use that long handled spoon go ahead just pay me my royalties yeah <laughs> <laughs> So what was your favorite part to write? I know it was like kind of a book about anxiety and depression, so I don't know if there's really a good part uh, uh, or whatever. I, I see what you mean. Uh, I would say probably the lonely or workplace drama because those writing those, yeah. reliving those and writing those stories out were crazy. <laughs> yes. So why are you talking about lonely? My favorite line from that chapter is the only thing left that I could do was get a hug from a girl and touch her backside. <laughs> yeah. You speaking that? Uh, you speaking? Oh, I think I'm in tenth grade then. Tenth grade, Chris. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, Paul Tink Tink, like. <laughs> That's what, that's what my mind, you know, because for those of y'all that listen to this podcast, in the book I spoke about a girl I like, and, you know, at, at the time, you know how the high school boys, you know, they hound you about, yeah, you having sex, kiss the girl, et cetera. So when they were naming things, I didn't, you know, I had never had sex at the time. I had never kissed, well, I kissed the girl like when I was 10 years old, but I had never touched a girl's butt. To even hug the girl. So I was like, well, let me, I knew having sex was off the list. I couldn't do that at the time. So, I said, well, let me just get a hug and touch a girl's butt. And she gave me, that was an opportunity. <laughs> and I was laughing and then like, I was, I was laughing at just that whole chapter. And I know that it's so sad because it's called Lonely, but that was just hilarious to me. I'm so sorry. I was like, and then you really set out like the whole process, like, okay. So I noticed this about her. She was hugging this guy, this guy, whatever. Here's my chance. It's like double dutch or something. I, I, I had to get a plan to go in there and do it. 
I, had to be no, I was, I was, I was rooting you on. I was like, "Go, Chris! Go, Chris! Go, Chris! You can do it! Yeah!" I had to get a plan. I finished going there, freelancing. <laughs> so, what was the hardest chapter for you to uh, recount? Hmm. This is a toss-up between ugly and lonely. Yeah, probably ugly and lonely. Those probably the two I didn't like writing them writing. Yeah. Probably ugly, overly more so than lonely. I got you. All right. So there were three key lines that I wanted to discuss. The other one was the line that was actually in your introduction, and I think you also put it in your suicide chapter. It said the unexpressed feelings can lead to increased crime rates, which can lead to increased prison rates and high suicide rates, especially of African American men between the ages of 15 and 24. When I actually researched that and I saw that, I was, I was very shocked. And where did you get that from? Or um, how did you? God, I forgot the website. It was the CDC. Oh, I forgot. The... It's in the back of the book. I can't remember the website exactly. So, what did you Google, or what was the thought pro? Like, where were you going with that to well, pull that information? I wanted because I spoke about uh, suicide. The chapter in the book, so I spoke about my experiences with suicidal thoughts. Because I wanted to put a little bit of statistics in the book dealing with suicide, especially specifically with African American men. So I typed in African-American men suicide rates, and that was one of the links that popped up. And to see men that young, you know, 15 to 24, considering suicide actually going through with it, it just, it, it shocks me. Because I was like, wow, that could have really been me. And I was younger than right. having suicide, you know, suicidal feeling and thoughts. And uh, let's see, the other line, as humans, we always compare what we perceive as the worst part of ourselves to the best of what we presume about others. That was deep. I, like, I was like, that's, that's true. Because, you know, normally when we do a comparison, it's not an apples to apples comparison, even though we feel like it is. But, you know, looking back at it, it it's really not. Mm -hmm. Because what we're looking at in that other person is definitely what we feel is a flaw for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's funny because I recorded a video for my YouTube channel doing a Q&A and my friend who got to, to shot the video, who's my videographer, he pointed that same as that quote out. And he said it struck out to him. And I was like, absolutely, because when you look at, I was like, for example, I'll just use me with my interaction with women. You know, I'm, I haven't been the most successful when it came to my interaction with women. But when I would look at my friends, guy friends, see how they can pull these women quickly or, you know, or what I perceive to be, to be quickly. And I was like, well, dang, what's wrong with me that I can't do it? But little, yeah. did I, little did I, you know, I don't know necessarily how many no's they could have got opposed to the yeses. I'm assuming, because I'm looking, you know, what I see is that success for them and failure for me. Yeah. When I thought about that and I wrote that line, I was like, wow, we, we really do that a lot. And we don't know what the other person has went through in their life or journey, but we're comparing ourselves to that person. All right, because it's like you know we always just see the outcomes mm -hmm. of it. You never know what they what the inputs were. You know all the different things that they had to do to achieve whatever the outcome is. Mm -hmm. You know whether it's getting girls or getting a job or whatever. Mm -hmm. We see, yeah, exactly. We see the outcome, but we don't know what the input or what happened before the outcome came to be. And the last line is uh, from validation. 
while validation is affirming and positive, it becomes problematic when you look for others' opinions to give purpose to your life. I was like, hmm. <laughs> <Make> that, <laughs> okay. You know, because um, I think I've had some struggles with the validation thing on and off, but the older, trust me, the older you get, the more you accept yourself. That doesn't mean that you stop growing. Mm-hmm. Or that you stop working to be better. You have a, a better understanding of what your flaws are as well as what you're good at. So you already have your mindset on what you need to work on and, and what's not. So when you start putting out things, you're going to already know the quality of it. Like, yeah, I'm not really good at shooting videos, so it's not going to be that great. So I don't care what you think about it because <laughs> I already know I'm not good, but I'm working <laughs> on it. Just keep watching and wait for the growth. And I, and I like, but, and I like um, that mindset. That's the mindset you have to have. In the, in the chapter, the validation chapter, I speak on, you know, I was like a validation junkie. Like, I needed that approval from other people around me to make myself feel worthy or like I was worth something. If somebody said, like, for example, I, I mentioned I'm uh, the words, I'm proud of you. No, I didn't really hear those words growing up. You know, I've heard, like, oh, great, good job, Chris, or great job. But to me, I'm proud of you meant that that's like the top. Somebody noticed me, first of all. And then it's like, you're, what you did was worthy and, and outstanding. So somebody say, I'm proud of you. Right. And I was so upset with you for not taking that uh, SAT. I know. Looking back on, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset. Like, just because, like, they said, good job. This is great. But they didn't say they were proud of but, you. But so it's you also were like, like uh, the, the reaction I didn't get from you know, the family, I, you know, I was, two people said, you know, good job. Everybody was like, oh, well, that's cool. So it wasn't like that. So I feel like if it wasn't, oh, and, and for, for the people listening, in the book, I kind of gave one example of validation. I spoke of how in seventh grade, I was eligible to take the SAT. And I didn't take it because I didn't get the interaction or the validation from my family that I wanted. Looking back on, I wish I would have. <laughs> to at least give it a shot, gave it a shot. Yeah, you could have been Martin Luther King. You could have been graduating from Morehouse at 15. <laughs> I was kick, I, I, when I was writing out, like, I was like, what were you thinking? You should have really took, at least gave it a shot and see how you did. Right, because you had the grades. They gave you the little group party, you know, all of y'all. That was in the top percentile of ITBS scores, which, ooh, child, you brought back some awful memories. <laughs> I remember that ITBS testing because it lasted like a week. Mm. And that's all you did. And you did a different portion each day. I was like, oh, my God. Then you had to wait months. Like you said, you had to wait months for it to come back just to find out if you got to take it again, which, thank God, I never did. But, oh, as soon as you said ITBS, I remember them scan trials. I don't I, like, I don't oh, miss them standardized testing. Even though I kind of sort of do got taken in school, but they're not to that extent. Like, when you right school school but all right i think we pretty much covered it all to all of the listeners again i highly recommend this book it was a breeze for me uh, how did, many did you pages tell me, did you tell me uh, your favorite chapter i don't remember uh let me see what well i'm weird <laughs> so like it's like the weight chapter because like because it's like okay this is the thing with it that makes it difficult to say what was my favorite chapter is because it's about anxiety and depression mm-hmm. but the book is entertaining so my least favorite was probably the workplace drama only because and it wasn't anything about that you wrote or the situation i just hate drama mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, God, I couldn't even work there. I couldn't do that. That 
Yeah, like how did oh, you last that long? I promise you right now, I'll ask myself the same question. What were you thinking? <laughs> and then like in the weight chapter, might have been my favorite because it was just interesting or entertaining. You know what I'm saying? Like because you had all these different situations and then you were scared to get on the scale and I was like, are you just... <laughs> it's just a number. It's just go to the doctor because you. The thing that threw me about it was you. You were concerned about getting diabetes, mm-hmm. but you didn't want to go to the nurse or to the doctors for the physical because of the weight part of it. Like they kind of go together, Chris. Yeah, and then because <laughs> I've pretty much been big, pretty much since elementary school, or at least bigger than my classmates. I've always been self-conscious of my body, so scale is like like my enemy, and I, well, I still hate it, but especially at that time, it was my enemy. I did not want to see that number, because I felt like, it, at first, it heightened my own insecurities of my weight. It's like, then you got your mind that I need to do something, but then you don't have the motivation to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and I guess I say it's just a number because you already know that you're big. You know, at this time, anyway, you knew that you were big, you knew that you were overweight. So the number wasn't going to tell you anything that you didn't already know. And that's how I felt about the doctor. I was like, when they tell you about your BMI, body mass index, it's like, oh, it's high. Well, I know I'm fat, so I didn't want to go in here more. And what I what I already know. So that's why I kind of avoided the doctor for, I can't remember how many years I said, I think three, four years. I said I didn't go. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I just decided that, well, I want to get a book away. I want you all to read it. But yeah, I went doctor for three, four years because I didn't want to hear I'm fat. <laughs> but nevertheless, glad you made it out of all of that. So just in closing, the book was a really, really good read. I think that it would appeal to a variety of readers, those that are avid readers and those that have not read a book in a while. I think that it appealed to both. That was one of the, the things that I liked most about it. It's definitely an easy read. There was only one word that I had to look up, <laughs> which was Nadir. And I was like, that. all I know is Spanish and that's to swim. But I was like, well, what does that mean? So I did have to look that word up, but everything else is, it's really like a conversation. So as you read it, it's almost like you sitting down with friends going over the day. Each chapter is like a day or an experience or something like that. So it makes you feel included, like you're part of the story. Put it like this. I didn't even get the book book. He sent me a digital copy. He actually sent me the manuscript. So I sat at my computer and read this book in literally four to five hours, if that. And that's along with eating, taking a couple breaks or something like that. So it it was that easy and that pleasurable to read. So um, I I highly recommend it. Well, it's it's, it's, it's like it's not a, it's, it's an ugly version of the book as far you know putting it you know nicely you know crushed together formatted. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I'm still gonna get the book. And I'm going to read it again. But <laughs> but I'm, I really, really enjoyed it. I was disappointed with the end. And only because I got there. Like, I was like, oh, it's over? <laughs> like, wait a minute. Can we get one more chapter? Just a little bit more? Just a little bit more? But... When memoir come out in my 30s or 40s, I, you get more. <laughs> right. I was going to say, well, it just leaves an option for you to write another book. Yeah. 
So also, oh, before we go, so you released this book along with your children's book at the same time? Yes, uh, on May 31st, The Big Move, which is entitled my children's book, and Why Me, A Journey of Self-Reflection and Healing, which is, of course, named my self-help book. And they're both available okay, on and- Amazon.com, ebook and physical paperback. What is The Big Move about? The big move is about a boy. He his he has to move from L.A. to Atlanta because his mother has given a job promotion. So and he has to kind of adjust to life within a new city, new community. He has to be behind his friends in L.A. So it's kind of just go, you know, showing him going through the motion of being a newbie in a new town. Okay. Do you have any other plans or plans for future books or? Uh yeah, definitely another children's book. I don't know if I'm release it this year or probably top of next year. I'm not sure yet. But definitely more children's book. That's what my passion is. As far as full-length books, I'm not sure yet. Definitely a memoir later on in life. But as far as between that, I kind of want to do some work and look at standardized testing and the kind of effects it has on, on kids. Like, as you okay. just mentioned, like ITVS and CRCT, the PTSD you got from that. <laughs> yeah. So I want to kind of look at that and, and the effects it, on, it has on kids and is it really worth taking. So that might be my next so do they still have standardized uh, tests? Because I thought, uh, I thought they had um, reduced them, or or what? What did they do away? They did away with some of the. You know, I don't have no kids, so I don't even stay in tune. I'm not. I'm so far removed. They still have. Uh, they call. You know, they don't. Have, I don't believe that they don't have the ITVS no more. They had. They had a milestone. So the milestone replaces. It used to be a CRCT at least when I was in school. So now they replaced that with the Georgia milestone, which this is the first year. Because of Corona, they didn't they didn't do any kind of end of year test. So I'm like, well, if y'all this oh, year, okay. I can do it anytime. But but all righty, Chris. Um, any last words for the listeners? Uh, I just hope thank you all for those of y'all that do go support it and follow follow me on Instagram at underscore Chris two S is ninety four and let me know what you think of either book, especially why me. I I I would love to know what you kind of took away, what people took away from it, favorite chapters you know what resonated with you so let me know what you do and don't forget to leave a review on amazon.com all righty we will definitely do that well again chris thank you so much for your time thank you for sharing the book with me and sharing the book with the world i do think that it's right on time especially uh being a black man talking about mental health and a lot of the issues that you cover in the book i think that they are definitely evergreen topics and relevant to a lot of us And I wish you uh, lots of success with it. Thank you. All right, family. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening. We are out of here. I am your host, Aaron Bull, and this has been The Beacon of Truth.